0: Welcome to another edition of this Tangentially Speaking podcast, brought to you almost live this time from New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, This is a conversation I recorded yesterday with the amazing Josh Fox. Josh has become a friend of mine over the last few years. He reached out to me probably 2010, shortly after Sex at Dawn came out, maybe it was 2011, I don't know, um, talking about maybe doing some sort of a project together, bringing the book to film in some way to the screen. Um, we talked about it off and on over the years, and the idea sort of came and went and came and went, and it got shot down by HBO, where Josh was doing a lot of work. Um, they, the, the people in charge there weren't interested in doing the sort of sexual content that uh, would be required for to bring it to the screen, but... In any case, we became friends over the years, and uh, so when we were down here visiting New Orleans, Cassie and I spent a lot of time with uh, with Josh and uh, Kaylee, his his girlfriend, and uh, man. It's great. Josh, as you'll hear, is a dude who's got his fingers in lots of different pies. He's an actor. He's a writer. He's obviously a documentary filmmaker. You may have seen Gasland or Gasland 2 or How to Love the World and All the Things Climate Can't Change. I think I got that title right. Uh, He just did a film about Standing Rock where he was um, helping protest the, the pipeline that ultimately our Commander-in-Chief approved. Uh, don't get me started. Anyway, um, Josh is a musician. He's a writer and filmmaker, all these different things. And he's a great guy. He's uh, a great friend, very interesting dude, and I was very happy to have a chance to sit down with him in the middle of a very busy day for him. He's up to his neck in protesting a fracked gas power plant that's being proposed here in New Orleans in a poor district, poor part of town. So, of course, the people who are going to get screwed are not the people who are hanging out with the rich and famous of New Orleans and the powerful. They're the people who don't have a voice. So he's very uh, passionate about trying to encourage them and, and, uh, and help them express their opposition to these things. Cassie and I are about to leave town. As soon as I post this podcast, we'll be on the road, probably stop at a plantation on our way back to Austin, where uh, we'll be at South by Southwest for a few days. And then from there on to the Salton Sea, where we'll be hanging out with uh, Tal Ruspoli and a bunch of crazy artists in the desert before heading back into L.A. So thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for your support, however you express it. If it's monetarily, uh, Patreon is the best way to do that, probably. You can support the podcast with a few bucks a month or whatever you can afford. And uh, that's great. That also gives you access to Patreon-only content. I've done a few things here in in New Orleans for Patreon supporters. Uh, They have a thing that's kind of like... uh, an instagram story it's a video that you post and it disappears after 24 hours i've tried that out here in new orleans and also the future roma and toma episodes will be posted at patreon so as little as a dollar a month gives you access to any of that content And what else can I tell you? The Tangentially Reading book is available. uh, If you'd like to have a printed version of some of the podcasts that you've heard over the years, that's available. Uh, That features Joe Rogan and Duncan Trussell, of course, uh, as well as Dan Carlin and uh, uh, Nikki Glaser and Mary Roach, the the great author. Um, Lots of interesting people in that. You can get that. On your local Amazon, wherever you are in the world, that's the black and white version. The full color version is available for people in the U.S. You can order that through my website. If you just go to tangentiallyspeaking.com and look for the store, there's a tab up at the top. Click on that. You'll see the book there, and my mom will send you one of the full color versions. I think they're only 20 bucks too, which is a bargain. All right. I'm sure there are other things I should be saying, but I can't think of what they are. I've got a list over my desk at home, but I'm sitting in a van in a parking lot in New Orleans, just near Congo Square, and I don't have my list, so I'm going to leave it at that. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for your support. Hope things are going great for you out there, wherever you are. Catch you soon.
1: I know a man can be a delicate thing He can be soft and sweet like sugar wrapped in butter And I don't mind your company But if you want to make me sing Keep in mind that I am not your baby
0: Fox is ready. I'm back. Josh Fox is a fucking rabble rouser, if I've ever known one, <laughs> and uh, he's down here in New Orleans, rousing rabble at the moment.
2: <laughs> oh, we're rousing some good people.
0: <laughs> um, um, well, rabble, you know, it's 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 an opinion, right? If they're against your project, then they're rabble. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us what what's going
2: on. You're down here temporarily. Is yeah. It just for this project, or you got another project happening? I've been I've, well. I've been working on several things simultaneously. The thing that I'm um, just completely got focused on and uh, is this, fracked gas power plant that is being proposed for New Orleans. Yeah. Which is kind of like the most dastardly just plan taking- that I've ever. Seen kind and of, you've hatched. seen some dastardly things in your day. So the power company in town is a monopoly called Entergy. Now Entergy. Uh, sort of dreamed up doing a fracked gas power plant. Um, there's 300 of these frac gas power plants being proposed for the United States right now, all across the nation. It is an environmental catastrophe of epic proportions, which I'll get to. Um, is this? I think your phone is creating.
0: Yeah, with the we'll mic, do, there will do that. Yeah. Sorry. Technology. We've got um,
2: warring technologies here. As I was saying, it is an environmental catastrophe of epic proportions. And so this is what they decided to do. Let's build a frack gas power plant. Let's put it in a predominantly African-American, Latino, and Vietnamese neighborhood. Let's plan it out for the next 30 to 40 years. Um, then let's rezone their entire neighborhood as industrial and then we'll go and get city council to approve it as a ratepayer hike so the people from New Orleans had to pay for it. $10 a month for 30 years. If you pay $10 a month for 30 yeah. years, you can put your kids through college. Yeah. So this is a $400 million proposition being pushed on the people of New Orleans. And the, the, the company is sort of saying, you pay for your own poison. You pay for your own fracking. You right. pay for your own climate change. Because these things are climate change machines. Right. right. And And... You know, we we'll, we we'll, we're gonna rake in the dollars. It's sort of like this: somebody sitting up in a tower somewhere, going, <laughs> "Yeah, can't believe we're how could we away possibly get away with this one?" <laughs> well, they're doing it because they've bought off the city council, and this yeah. is you know, this is a, a town that has a really long and sordid history of being completely destroyed by the oil and gas industry, and it's very very uh, sad because this is the coast of Louisiana is the fastest disappearing land on earth. Um, Really? More than Bangladesh? Fastest disappearing land on Earth. Uh, They're losing a football field of marsh and swamp um, and coastline every hour, every hundred minutes. Wow. uh, It disappears into the ocean because of rising sea level and because also the canals that the oil and gas industry built to ship their tankers through have allowed all this saltwater intrusion, which destroys the marsh. Uh Um, And so it's it's crazy to think this is the first it's it's in the power plant is in opposition to New Orleans sustainability plan passed by Michel Andrew it's in opposition or it's in conflict with the city council's recent resolution to de- to uh, cut emissions and it happens to be in conflict with the Democratic Party platform um, which says we cannot incentivize frack gas power plants um, hmm. I know that amendment well because I wrote it and uh, it, it, this whole city council is democratic
0: Oh man, that's what's so depressing. Yeah, that's uh,
2: that. <laughs> that was my cat jumping on the table. <laughs> She's always wanted to be in the center of yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, this is a little. we'll take a picture of her for the, uh, for, uh, the for Hurricane the, Sandy. Yes. That's yeah. Her. her name is Sandy. Uh, all got, my cats are named right, after climate change Basra, disasters yeah, Basra, Sandy. Basra, Sandy. their brothers which and sisters who were adopted out to other families were Haiyan and Pavilion and Rocky for the Rockaways um, now we would, we've recently taken to naming them after characters from Tennessee Williams plays because of the New Orleans influence in life these days um, I, you know I, I'm, I'm visiting this town I love it, uh, I've always loved it and it's recently become really inspiring for me to be here um you know, on and off as I can. Uh, You know, because, um, you know, there's just a lot of activity in life that's going on here. This is a very special place. It doesn't really feel like you're in the United States, Mm. which I think all those people who... um, you know, vowed that they were going to leave the U.S. when Trump got elected. Like I never thought I was going to be one of those people. Yeah, um, and I kind of am because you know, like spending <laughs> I'm spending time more here. time in New Orleans than I than uh, than I used to. But um, you know what I mean? Like it's it is the northernmost city in the Caribbean, and it's a fun place to be. And yeah, um, and I, of course, my home is still New York and I, and, right. and, and Pennsylvania, a. A. And, and, yeah. and but and, and New York City is is of uh, course is through my veins. Um, and it's probably, you know, 85% of my chemical makeup, if you consider, you know, how much pizza and bagels I've consumed <laughs> over the years. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, whatever else. <laughs> but, yeah, there is a special thing going on here right now. Have
0: you, do you consider yourself primarily, at this point in your yeah. life, a filmmaker or an activist? or what, what do you think of your role? I'm
2: a filmmaker that's constantly trying to change the world, and I think films don't change the world. Mm. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean this is a hard thing to, to, to discover. Culture on its own is so necessary as the backdrop of all of our awareness and understanding and psychic knowledge of what our country is and what's happening. But that alone doesn't do shit when in terms of the power. Power concedes nothing without a demand, right? right. Um, and, uh, and a uh, struggle. And, a, and the struggle is the part of this that makes... You know what I mean? Because you spend all your time making a movie right you love this movie and it's a great movie and it's either as a documentary you've got this incredible testimony and these incredible action scenes like in the last film um or or real reporting on fracking and then you realize you put it out in the world and you realize it's it's going to make a lot of people understand things and angry but it's the organizers that change things it's the organizers and the activists and the people who who participate in politics, that change things. It's very, very hard not to put your film aside for six months or a year or whatever it is and go out there and campaign. Go out there and work with people, because working with people, because you've got this incredible knowledge after, you know, I have this amazing knowledge on fracking and climate change and all these different subjects, Standing Rock, you know, which is the most recent film, and you want to help. So I probably could have made twice the number of films i made in the last ten years which is my passion which is my love which is my desire which is my happiness also hmm. but I I, I can't conscientiously do that without putting in the work on the, on the activist side of things
0: how do you feel? You, you said the people who change things are people who engage in the political process. How do you feel about the political process in light of the fact that you were a Bernie activist and you mm-hmm. saw how the whole thing was stolen from him at the, at the Democratic Convention and, and before that? And is the political process a viable way to get things done, to change things?
2: Well, you know, Bernie Sanders almost won. Keith Ellison almost won. Yeah, I mean, that's never happened before in America. That's incredible. So the political process is worth investing in because if Bernie wins in twenty twenty and he's healthy and I think he's going to be healthy, and I think he's going to run. He's going to win. That means do everything that so? we did. Yeah, I do. What, do you I think honestly do. let
0: him win? Who's and, letting who do anything Well, I right mean, now? The, that's the I thing. Mean, I mean, the problem is media, if, well. the, the political parties, the electoral college, the companies that own the voting machines, the fucking Russian bots. There's so many hurdles. Yep. You know, even if there's a landslide, will we even see those votes? Will they be counted? Will they shut down all the polling stations where, you know, majority black people vote as they did last time? Yep. And the, the gerrymandering, there's just so much bullshit in that process. Yep.
2: Well, there's no question to me right now that the whole American system is is corrupt and tainted and destroyed. Yeah. Um, and that's a really hard conclusion to come to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, had they not disenfranchised eight million minor, minority voters in twenty sixteen, you know, right?
0: And weren't there uh, like fifty thousand uncounted or votes in, two, or, or, in
2: Michigan or in two thousand? Yeah. Or two thousand four,
0: and and let's say Bernie did win. Let's say somehow you know um, what's her name, the head of the Democratic Party uh, from Florida, that corrupt, horrible woman, Debbie Wasserman. Sure. Yeah, her. Uh, let's say she didn't pull her strings, and and you know whatever didn't. happen. are talking about
2: winning the primary, the nomination. Yeah,
0: the nomination, and then of course he would. I don't know beat who's going to beat him. He would have beaten Trump. I mean, because I, I mean, my feeling is that Trump won on the protest vote. And if Bernie was in the running, the, the, he would have gotten the intelligent protest vote. I mean, vote.
2: Trump's victory is enormously complex. Yeah. And it has to do with a lot of forces dividing everyone who wanted Hillary to be the president. And, and pushing anyone who them to change, yeah, and, and squeaking through just as they squeak through with Brexit and everything else. The, yeah. the same group of people were focusing on that. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, really, that is yeah. amounts to a very sophisticated campaigning and election tampering, kind of at the same time. Yeah, um, it's a psychographic campaigning, which is different than demographic campaigning, right. which is uh, the whole f- f- um, focus of my new piece, hmm. but um, or part of it, but. Um, do I think Bernie can win? Yeah, I do. Okay, do I but, think that we can have was, real progress through the electoral system? Yeah, I do. Okay, if Bernie had won, mm-hmm.
0: what would be different? A lot of things,
2: first of all, a lot of things would be different, because you would have seen riding Bernie's coattails a lot of progressives who had a chance of winning, mm-hmm. who then didn't win because Hillary was so busy courting uh, moderate Republicans. Right. Their whole strategy was to court what they call swing voters. Right. Swing voters in this country are a very tiny fraction of people. They're largely a myth, in my opinion. Um, they're, they're, this, they're this political argument that says, okay, if we can just get some, a few moderate Republicans, and this was true back in the days of Bill Clinton in 1992. Mm. That was what they called triangulation. Right. And they triangulate the electorate, and, and Hillary and Bill adopted what were a lot of really classic Republican platforms: the crime bill, anti-welfare, the, uh, the NAFTA, Sister
0: Suja moment, the Sister Souljah moment, which was a, a disgraceful. Yeah. Honestly. Uh, um, the, the execution, signing the execution, of all the guys, those yeah. things that
2: they did to really become the Republicans. Yeah. We never recovered. From that. Obama was also a Republican. Um, You know, what you see with Bernie and a lot of progressive candidates these days, and there's a number of them that I'd love to talk about, is a resurgence of an FDR style. You know, Democrat, which is a populist, which is a person who believes in um, our public institutions, who, who is, have a, a lot... Bernie is a socialist. But I think you would have seen Zephyr Teachout, for example, become a congresswoman from New York. Mm. I think you would have seen some progressive candidates across the country get a boost. Because what ended up happening was, here's Hillary trying to get these republicans so they bring a lot of republican moderate republicans to the polls well they're not going to vote for a progressive right as a congress that's as far to the center as they're annihilated the down ballot candidates and this was a big thing that we brought up with them on the phone however i think had hillary uh, uh had coherent uh policies on fracking and climate which is to say, to ban fracking and to stop the Dakota Access Pipeline, she'd be the president right now. Mm. I know that there's 200,000 signatures on a petition to ban fracking in Michigan, for example. 200,000 people who probably stayed home or voted for Jill Stein. Right. In Pennsylvania, the same thing. Right. Now, I'm not saying it's all those people. Right. I went sure. out and said vote for Hillary, and a lot of Bill McKibben said vote for Hillary, as hard as it was to do that. Um, you know, But there were enough people who were disgusted with the process, and enough people who the Russian bots or... Um, Jill Stein and the Green Party or whoever said, you know, invest in the third parties and they, they, you know, or don't, don't, you know, don't, you don't have a candidate in this race. And, you know, the, the, that kind of electoral interference, by the way, it's not Russian. It's American. American. Google is American. Facebook is American. The Heritage Foundation is American. Uh, Steve Bannon is American. Um, You know (laughs) (laughs) These are American Sandy is getting in the way of the microphone Sandy is rubbing her face on the microphone Sandy you're interrupting a very important point (laughs) Um, These are American companies Yeah These are American people Who made clickbait more important on the internet than the truth And That Corrupted our media during the whole presidency CNN You know MSNBC broadcasting Trump's empty podium instead of a 70,000-person Bernie rally. These were directives, you know what I mean? So, you know, it's a very complex moment. You, and then on one side, you got all these Bernie f- people screaming, oh, the Russian thing doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. This is just the neoliberals trying to, mm-hmm. you know, make, make excuses. Well, that's not true. So people have to understand that there's many things that are true at once. There was an influence, for sure. But, um, you know, could you call it Russian or could you call it ExxonMobil? I would, I would rather yeah. focus on the ExxonMobil part of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. ExxonMobil right. now runs the State Department. And Cambridge Analytica... <laughs> oh, shit. Explicitly yeah. runs it. Yeah, and Cambridge Analytica, yeah. which developed very, very sophisticated voter persuasion techniques, uh, now has a contract with the State Department. So, you know, um, yeah. these are things that we have to pay attention to, we're not, which we're not paying attention yeah. to, which is part of what my new piece is about. My new piece oh. is called The Truth Has Changed. Um, it's a spoken documentary. It's a one-man show, in other words, uh, it's a monologue. Um, HBO, Sheila Nevins, the genius of Sheila uh, of Sheila Nevins, uh, put me up to it a couple of years ago, and I finally, or a year and a half ago, and I finally finished it. And we're going to go forward with that in September. Uh, we're going to be performing it all across the country. That's one of the things I've been working on mm. uh, down here, um, and, and it does have a lot to do with the climate, and it has a lot to do with fracking, but it also has to do with this election cycle and, and an in-depth exploration. Um, mm. Of what actually happened, and how do we not have that happen this time? Because I think 2018 we could make huge, huge gains uh, if we're smart, uh, if we don't fall down the same rabbit holes, uh, which we need to be educated about where those rabbit holes are and jump over them.
0: Can the can the uh, the radicals uh, on the left, although left, left and right is also a problematic nomenclature at the now. moment. Yeah, um, but can the this the sort of FDR liberals, let's say, that you were referring to earlier, can they take over the Democratic Party? Or is the institutional inertia so strong that it's. Because the way I look at it is you've got
2: a party that it's is. Not, it's not institutional inertia. This is fucking cash, straight yeah, up. That's what money. I'm saying. Well, the, money. those institutions it's are controlled the by the money. The monies. bankers, the yeah. oil industry.
0: You've got the Republicans who explicitly say we represent money, and you've got the Democrats who say. We represent the working man, but actually, we really represent money. Yeah. So it's you know, like I've this often said, Clinton it's the Clinton Harlem Block.
2: Barack Obama. That's who did that.
0: Well, I think it was happening anyway. They just recognized <laughs> it and rode the tide. There, there was no way to stop it. You've got so much money going into the political process, mm-hmm. and then with the Supreme Court decision, you know, calling it free speech, now the fucking, mm-hmm. it's. It, can they, it be stopped? you know? Can it be changed? I really hope so. I mean what, what's the alternative revolution, man I mean, I, I feel but like it is a revolution, it's a political well, yeah. revolution. see, that's what Bernie keeps saying. This is we need a political revolution, yeah. and what I hear implied in that is, or we're going to have blood in the streets. There's going to be a real well,
2: revolution uh, you know uh, uh, there is blood in the streets, yeah. This gas plant yeah. being proposed for New Orleans East will kill the children of the people who live in that neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, some of right. them anyway. It's Happening. Some now. of them anyway. There are chronic diseases that fracking is causing across this country, and people have died for for sure have died. Oh, sure. Um, there is blood in the streets when you look at police. Uh, the police state that we're living in and we don't have police reform I mean hands up don't shoot this is what we're talking about right yeah. um, there is blood in the streets of Iraq and Afghanistan for no reason uh, other than you know, um, an, a, 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 the agenda of empire and of oil and so you know how do you fight against violence I don't think you fight it with violence I think you fight it with other means. I think that um, we need to create this as a nonviolent political revolution, and I think it's happening. Will it? Will the, the corruptions of the ballot box in America right now be so overwhelming that it won't matter? I don't think anyone can ask that question. I think the truth is, though, at least for me, violence is one of the things I'm... Rebelling against, yeah, so I, why would I ever say that this is what we should do, But I do think that that the idea of a political revolution, that investing in the political process to such an, a great degree that there's an overwhelming amount of um, political will that changes things that's what I have to invest in, you know um, yeah, you
0: are the most inside political operator I know.
2: Uh, what's <laughs> which is
0: crazy. I mean, well, it's not my the world. The system yeah. is
2: so walled off. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you know, you you were... Um, what was your role at the convention? Um, well, I was a surrogate for the Bernie Sanders campaign on the road during the campaign. Right. Which meant doing a lot of rallies and events and, um, you know, speaking, uh, you know, before Bernie and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and stopping off at campaign offices and all that, but then sort of what I my official appointment was to the Democratic Platform Committee. That's what I was, which was for. pretty right. amazing to see that. Um, so the platform is not usually contentious in any way, right? It's usually just written by the nominee. And right. By the time you get around to writing the platform, you have a nominee, mm-hmm. right? Usually, Al Gore, Dukakis, Obama, right. whatever. Their campaign writes the platform, right. um, with input, of course, from other people. But in this case, since Bernie and Hillary had very very, very different political philosophies. There was a drafting committee, which was, I think, 13 people, seven from Hillary and six from Bernie. Uh, the drafting committee drafted the original document, which was the, the, you know, and then they voted on it. So that was, a, on Bernie's side, with some really amazing people. Dr. Cornell West, Bill McKibben, um, you know, uh, uh, some really amazing folks hmm. on that. And then there is a process by which we... Uh, Delegations from each state then go to a platform convention, I believe, and they uh, we campaign for amendments to that platform. so my job was to put forward two amendments: ban fracking amendment, and then an amendment which I wrote, which was about disincentivizing these frack gas power plants over because what the Obama administration did was they said, we want to phase out coal, coal is really bad, coal became the enemy in the Obama administration of climate change right? when we're thinking about climate change right? so they were like let's get rid of coal great idea, well what are you going to replace it with hmm. um, the right answer is solar and wind right? Um, and renewable energy and geothermal and hydropower, non-carbon intensive forms of energy right. what the Obama administration unfortunately was corrupted into saying was the replacement was fracked gas, natural gas um, and was that money,
0: contacts oh, of did you know how it that happened it was the whole
2: system of, of cronyism and an influence that the oil and gas industry has had over our government for a hundred years. Yeah. Plus a new emphasis on lobbying, all right. So for example, the safe the frack gas industry can't really exist without their exemption to the Safe Drinking Water Act. Right. They're exempt from the Safe Drinking Water Act. That amendment alone because
0: they're pumping these mysterious chemicals into the aquifer and mm-hmm. they don't even have to say what the fuck those chemicals are.
2: Right, right. And it, it creates a chain of liability to have to report what those chemicals are. Yeah. If they don't have to report it, well they can just Say if anyone sues them, they say, "Well, that wasn't us. Your kid died. Too bad. Your local car mechanic did that, or whatever. Like Aunt Sally pumped you know core exit into the ground, or whatever. (laughs) And 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 so um, uh, that's a very important thing to the industry. They have lots of exemptions. The frack gas industry and most of the fossil fuel industry is exempt from, you know, the Clean Air Act and many provisions. This is the Clean Water Act uh, and many provisions. The uh, the Clean Air Act, the Superfund Act. I mean, this is what they do. They spend time getting exemptions to our major environmental laws and weakening them and making them nonsense. Sure. So they got this exempt to the Safe Drinking Water Act, but to get it, it cost them $750 million uh, to gain and keep that exemption. Plus, Which, probably, which went to whom? How, how is that money spent? Um, there's a, there's a, an NGO called... Oh my God, it's been a while. You can look it up. Um, what's the name of it? Shoot, Um, they basically calculated the amount of lobbying. So it's a lot. So it's, but but I mean, if you're million dollars going to states, going to congressmen, going to senators, right? But you're not
0: allowed to just hand somebody a a briefcase full of cash.
2: So um, yeah, in some cases, you are actually.
0: You just uh, on the hand state it road? off
2: to their campaign. Oh, to the campaign,
0: not yeah. not to the individual. Yeah. So it's to help you get Corporations re-elected.
2: can donate unlimited amounts in political advertising. Okay. We know that. So it so goes to that. campaign officials and, and political parties. Well, the surplus you know, sometimes it goes to people. Let me ask I you mean, a question. This is at every level. Yeah. This is at every level. The oil and gas industry, from dog catcher to the United States president, Yeah. They get involved at every level of government, sure. whether it's the e- the regulators sure. for the local DEP, making sure that it's staffed with oil and gas people. So that the yeah. environmental regulators are actually oil and gas people, right? This is yeah. the fox watching the Toronto. Of- Just the other day, we came. There was a public hearing here at City Hall, and when we went to testify against the gas plant, people with knowledge and expertise and information, they ran up against a hundred people in the room, all wearing these orange T-shirts that said "Clean Energy, Clean Gas, Clean Jobs." they are orange, and they were filling the entire room, and they, they clogged that whole room. guess what those people were paid right $120 a head plus dinner we saw a guy on
0: the street the other night who told
2: us that that was the guy he was paid he just happened to be at a meeting and he said what are you talking about oh I was paid and that was the very first time we had evidence of the fact that someone was actually paid right now so they, they throw money around all over the place um and what happens to that campaign cash at the end of the day is very murky. Like, mm. what, didn't Ivana Trump just hire like her friend twenty six million dollars to like do the doilies oh, at the inauguration yeah, right, or something? Right, like, yeah. you know, yeah. look, um, it's yeah. corruption. Yeah. It's corruption, and we should, but we should just call it by its name. Um, so, you know, Obama's administration had a real strong campaigner in Lisa Jackson in the very first term Lisa Jackson was head of EPA she was actively investigating she was actively investigating fracking in Texas and and PA um, and uh, in Wyoming and those were marquee investigations my film Gasland Part 2 which was on HBO uh, followed those investigations for three years During the 2012 campaign cycle When Obama came out and started to campaign His first political act The State of the Union in 2012 Was to say how great natural gas was As soon as that happened Those investigations were shut down overnight um, You know, evidence hidden uh, Investigators pulled Science shelved And eventually Lisa Jackson resigned
0: so, do you think Obama knows he's full of shit on that issue and just played the card because it made sense politically, or do you
2: think he's so misinformed he doesn't know? Let me redefine politics in America. We don't have leaders in American politics, we have managers. Right. Managers can be charismatic and wonderful, right. Managers can come out and be sensible. They're doing what they're told. Well, managers manage things. Right. And so, so, if you're so inheriting a system, yeah. which involves, which has bankers and oil and gas industry, and it has police, and it has uh, a political system, and your job is to manage it and sort of inch it a little bit here and there so the so the public doesn't like revolt. Yeah, that's what a manager does. They manage things. What a leader does is trans- transform things. Obama, you're right? You know. From a media standpoint and from an American psyche standpoint was transformative because it was and, and he was african american and he represented a huge sea change in america there 's no question there um, absolutely no question when he really cared about something he couldn 't get it done yeah, he really cared about gun control reform hmm. couldn 't get it done he, he clearly really cared about climate change couldn 't get it done within Tindy that par- done. within that paradigm. Of a manager, and he set himself up for that. Yeah. Don't forget, he brought the oil and gas industry in. He brought Tim Geithner in. Right. With the, the banking industry and the oil and gas industry are are intimate related. They're they're sure. Siamese twins. They're joined at the hip. Right. You know when you bring those kind of people into your administration to say repair the economy, you're just. Boxed yourself into a corner, right? Um, And that was what happened very early on. Don't forget, this is a guy who went swimming in the Gulf of Mexico during the BP oil spill with his daughter to say everything's fine. He might as well have been doing a commercial for BP. Yeah. Um, Now, I love Obama deeply on so many symbolic levels, and I campaigned for him in Pennsylvania in 2008. Did he deliver the policies that we were expecting that symbolism to deliver? No. Not not by a long shot. Um. It's a little of both, I think. I mean, is it our fault? Whose fault is it? Well, I mean, I, I, I know, see, a, I I see progress. a lot of things that he never said
0: he was going to do. Just, mm, you know what I mean? Because yeah, I true. thought he was true, one true, of true. us.
2: But he, we were able to move him on certain issues. Like, when he had power, he delivered, actually. So he stopped the Keystone XL pipeline. Temporarily. Yeah, but that was the rest of it was sort of on us. Was it Peter you Bauer or David um,
0: Bauer who said when they win it's forever when we win it's a stay of execution. Yeah,
2: it, well, that, I I say that in guess I in another way. It's like environmentalists only ever have temporary victories for yeah. sure. And when they win when they when we lose, we lose things forever. So
0: if that's true, then isn't it did a ratcheting process of us
2: just losing? Mm. Sorry to bring you down, man. No, that's I I mean from an evolutionary perspective, it may be that, you know, in, the t- in, in, a, in a snow-filled landscape, you know, the spotted owl doesn't survive as well as the snowy owl because just evolutionary-wise, like, the prey can see that thing, right? So corporations no, are, wait, me are me taking over. Let and, me finish for yeah. a second. Our inability as humans to see three and four steps down the line yeah. may be the thing that pushes us off the planet. I mean, we're really good at fighting things in our backyard. If there's fracking coming, it's an immediate threat— it's n- nimbyism, not in my backyard. You're protecting your kids. You're not going to sleep. You're going to rock and roll. You're going to push. You're going to move. When it's climate, which is down the line, sort of happening somewhere, you know, everybody has a kitchen sink. Everybody has a water supply. Everybody has a backyard or something like it. Mm. Nobody has a climate. <sighs> Hmm. We can't see that far ahead as humans. We're not good at it. We are very good at putting off distant threats and responding to immediate ones. That may be the thing that's our spotted owl in the middle of the snow. Mm, you know what I mean? I I, that, in so my, we're the ones going extinct here. Well, uh, we're going to take a lot of shit down with us if yeah. we do that that yeah. way. Um, my last movie, How to Let Go of the World and Love All the Things Climate Can't Change, is not about us fixing the climate problem per se in the same parameters as other climate films are that say we have to cut emissions to get to two degrees. And, you know, mm. I mean, Lester Brown told me in 2010 that we needed an 80% reduction in carbon emissions by 2020. Right. To stave off the melting of the Greenland ice sheet. Right. And the mm. Greenland ice sheet and Antarctica combined, that's 39 levels of sea, 39 meters. Meters. Uh, or 39 feet. I can't remember. 39 Doesn't feet. Matter. No, it's 39 feet. Anyway, feet. whatever. It's a lot. It's civilization wide yeah. failure. Goodbye, Miami. Um, a million. The, the UN estimates at two degrees of warming, a, a billion climate refugees, or around that. Um, you know, we're talking about Mad Max, apocalyptic vision of the future. And that was in 2010, he said that. Emissions are going up. Yeah. Not down. Yeah. They're going up every year. Um, You know, it's hard to say that we're not going to suffer through incredible change. Uh, As Tim DeChristopher says, we're going to be navigating through the most intense period of change that humanity's ever seen. Now, that means that the fight is different. It also means that our values matter a lot more. It matters that we're not going to go by another AR-15 to defend your home. It means that you get ready the extra seat at the table, you the extra bedroom uh, for to welcome people in harm's way as, as humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I see that happening just as much as I see you know, the bunker mentality. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if there's a big victory goal down the line, but I know that every day there's victories. The world is not, you know, Um, Saved In one big swoop It's won and lost every single day So this is where we're at It forces us to live in the present And it forces us to understand that And that's um, one of the lessons I think That you have from New Orleans and Katrina You have a lesson in New York from Hurricane Sandy Um, And in politics it means Hopefully we can see progress. I do think Obama was much more progressive than Bill Clinton. I think Bernie Sanders was much more progressive than Obama. I think it's our duty to to continue that arc, um, there's another quote uh, that Tim DeChristopher reminds me of Martin Luther King, which is that the, 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 um, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Well, this, that's only one half of the quote. The, the other quote, part of the quote is that we have to bend it. Mm, <laughs> We've got to do the bending. It doesn't bend on its arc. own. You're right. Uh-huh. So whether or not we see some kind of to- total, you know, come on. Human beings are going to be human beings. There's going to be good and evil. There's going to be bad and good. There's going to be tragedy and comedy. But, you know, we have to bend towards justice. That's our job every day as storytellers. That's our job every day as writers, as filmmakers, as musicians, and as activists. How do you protect yourself? personally because you i mean you spend so much
0: time dealing with pain and tragedy and disaster and impending doom and these things you remind me of like a dentist or or a psychiatrist (laughs) you know where you're you're dealing you're alleviating pain you're trying to make incremental gains but you are in the presence of suffering psychologically how do you protect yourself
2: the people are beautiful I mean, the things that they say are amazing.
0: you ever wake up in the middle of the night and just feel, fuck? All the time. Fucking hopeless?
2: All the time. Uh, and that's what Mardi Gras is for. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, I mean, you can't yeah. live in that all day. Yeah. Um, I mean, I paint. You know, I make music. Yeah, a lot of creativity. Um, I, I make movies. I, I play music, I But, but, are you gonna have but kids? as a documentarian... Well, hold on about that. As a documentarian, I just... I want you to come with me tonight. There's going to be amazing shit happen at this fight against the uh, power plant in the Vietnamese community in New Orleans East. There are going to be people who come up, everyday people, who speak music, Mm. who speak poetry. And you miss it if you don't want to go there and check the shit out. That I mean, the the tiny little film that I just made on uh, the power plant here, the seven-minute film, the people in that film speak in a way that I've never heard before. And that's, that's Up on your website, can people see that? Yeah, it's up on what's well, up on the No Gas Plant site. Uh, it's it's on my Facebook page. Okay, um, I'll put it on my, my page yeah, as well. Yeah, just when this goes play up. the first part of Sylvia talking about how the the people are the salt of the city. If there's no salt, there's no flavor. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's out there. Flavor, and it's something yeah. re- rejuvenating. Right. You know what I mean? And the thing is that the wheel of emotion in our human insides, and I don't know why this is, but in the most sorrow, there's a little hope. And in the, wor- in the most elation, there's a tiny bit of sorrow. I don't know what that's about or why mm. we're built that way. I just know it's true. Mm. And there's always the germ of the, the, the solution or the problem inside of either one. And, and, and you, you enter that wheel of emotion, and it's going to be gratifying. Mm. If you push it all off, that's depression. Mm. If you say, I'm Good not going to feel anything, right. I'm going to tune out and watch TV. Guess what? That's when you get fat, you get depressed, you start right. drinking too much. It's not being active that, make, that protects me. It's the opposite. Good point. I mean, I said this Good to point. Kaylee the other night. My girlfriend, I didn't want to go to the meeting. I was like, I don't want to go. It was Friday night. It was a, like this church somewhere. We didn't even know where it was. turned out it was a church next to a concrete factory the worst most polluting thing all the way out in new orleans east we didn't want to go we showed up and there are these preachers that are preaching gospel and this guy and there's two organists who who were like accenting all the speeches and then people get up and they're speaking they're crying and it was the most emotional Beautiful hour I ever spent on a Friday night in a church. I mean, I don't spend a lot of Friday nights in churches, right? <laughs> and I said to Kaylee, "Next time I don't want to get out of bed. Yeah. Tell me. Remember, go. It's not. It, it, if you go in your room and you hide behind a curtain, and this is what most of America is doing, by the way, mm. most of America is addicted to opioids, shooting up their schools, watching television. Yeah. You know, um, not most of America. America's in a very awake, avoidant." Moment. Well, yeah, we do. We spend all that time on Facebook and social media and Instagram. That is our disease. That is our addiction. That hurts. That'll kill you faster than cancer of the heart. You know, this getting involved protects me. Being there protects me because mm. it gives me the inspiration to go ahead and keep going. Mm. Um, that's the pr- true protection. And it means you give more energy, but it gives it back to you. Mm. Am I going to have kids? I have no idea. <laughs> Does this enter into the question or is it a totally different issue? It doesn't enter the question. It doesn't. I'm a grandchild of Holocaust survivors. You know, my dad was born in Kazakhstan with his parents fleeing the Nazis. My grandfather's and grandmother's nine brothers and sisters were all murdered. Like, they had kids. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You think that was a bleak right. vision of the future? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, my grandfather and grandmother on the Jewish side moved back to Poland, and my uncle was shot in the eye in the first year he was there by another kid who wanted to shoot a Jew. You know, this is what happened in Poland. People would come back to their own apartments, and then they would say, oh, this is my house. And then they'd say, oh, one second, and I'll, I'll go get the, my husband. And they would get shot on their front stoops. And nobody would be persecuted, prosecuted for that. Yeah. So they experienced that. Then they moved to France. Then they moved to America. Um, but these, you know, uh, I mean, I, I don't. I haven't had circumstances right now where I felt like I could actually take care of children in a reasonable way. Um, I'm too busy. Yeah. And I may be. Um, that may mean it's too late for me. I don't know. Hmm. Um, or I may do it. and in 10 years. I mean, look at Steve Martin. He just had a kid in 67. Did he really? Yeah. Or it was like two years ago. But like, you know, I'm, I plan on living to 150. And you and Steve Martin I, have a lot in common, actually. I love Steve Martin. But I plan on living did to you, 150. Did somehow. you tell me you started playing the banjo because of Steve Martin? I probably did tell you that. Because it was true. What's that story? Uh, well, I love Steve Martin and those records in the 70s and 80s. like The comedy records? Yeah, the with comedy the banjo. records where he's playing the banjo, doing Let's Get Small and the, yeah. all those routines. So great. And he's. He's a great banjo player. Huh. He's no slouch. The man can, like, play. Really? I am not a tenth of the banjo player of Steve Martin, but he's he's one of the best, huh. um, just in terms of what he can do technically, but also his the feeling in his playing and all that. Um, and he plays Clawhammer and he plays uh, Bluegrass, which is two different styles. Um, so. I don't know I just listened to those records and I thought it was great and I was a guitar player from his kid you know because my dad was a folk singer he's a folk singer and um, so I knew how to play the guitar a little bit at least before I could read so banjo was like this thing and I went and bought one at a yard sale 25 bucks that is the one that's in Gasland I have many more banjos now but yeah Steve was Martin. that
0: signed by Bernie? the one over there is signed by Bernie
2: oh okay you're, um, you're, new, it's one of the new ones it was sort banjo. of my touring banjo so when uh-huh. I went to Intro of Bernie for the very first time in Binghamton, when he was uh, uh, did his big speech on fracking, which was fantastic. I'd waited ten years for a politician to say that those words, at least, or no, uh, to say them in the way that he said them. Um, it felt like ten years. It was probably more like eight. But backstage, I was like, "Hey, sign my banjo." <laughs> he totally did it. That's so it great. great. Yeah. You a fan of Bella Fleck? Sure. I mean, I don't, the, the thing is that I don't really listen to a lot of banjo music. I, I, I've been learning, well part of my secret project down here is I've been learning um, jazz banjo from a great mm. jazz musician called Don Vappi V-A-P-P-I-E. You can get some of his stuff on Spotify. He's an amazing, legendary banjo player down here, uh, and he's been teaching me the jazz banjo, which is a whole nother world, and I love that music a lot. Mm. All the Jelly Roll Morton and all right. the standards and all right. that great stuff
0: jelly jelly roll morton grew up right around here somewhere
2: congo yeah square. yeah congo square is really close to where we're at we're currently um you know uh very close to the birthplace of rock and roll a lot of, yeah. where, where where tennessee williams lived we're in uh, yeah. a, a, a very historic place there's an essay called hear that long
0: snake moan by michael ventura that talks about the origins of jazz and Rock and roll and voodoo and the whole thing coming together here in New Orleans. It's. I'll, I'll send you the PDF.
2: Well, he, New Orleans it, is much like a place amazing. like New York was. Huh. New York was this melting pot of diversity. Yeah. Here in and we don't hear that as much in New York anymore. Right? You know what
0: jelly roll means, by the way? No. Pussy. <laughs> jelly roll <laughs> Martin's well, mother won't... ran a, um, a whorehouse. Oh, okay. And the kid, the, his nickname, Jelly Roll, because pussy. He was you know, pussy hound, I guess. Yeah, like, people don't know that rock and roll I didn't, I to fuck. Know. I that's know. what rock and roll means.
2: Not so so rock
0: around the clock tonight means we're going to fuck all night. No, that's great. I mean, I, I, I'm, oh, this is all from that essay, by the way. That, I, I got to read yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic piece of writing. Well,
2: okay, so uh, New York City uh, unfortunately has suffered incredible degradation and disintegration because of money um, and because of monoculture that it imported. Um, all those white kids from the suburbs that went to grad school uh, and moved to New York um, ended up squeezing out the cultural matrix that created CBGBs and hip hop and all the theaters I used to work in and they're all just Mm. gone. Now you have and what happened was they went to like let's say like the Lower East Side where there was clubs galore there were theaters galore well they moved there in their 20s. Guess what? Nobody likes to move in New York because it's so expensive every time you move because the rents jump. Mm. So now those people are in their 40s and they've had second kid and all of a sudden the backyard uh, you know bar, which used to have a place in the alley where people could congregate and uh, they don't want that anymore, so they called the cops on them. They were the people who were the so-called rock and rollers in their 20s, and now they're in their 30s and they turn into a bunch of stooges. That's a virus. Um, It's a suburban, mostly white, monocultural virus that has taken hold in New York City and it's complemented by neoliberal politics um, and by uh, acquiescence in every form to money. And it's, uh, it's destroyed every neighborhood I've ever lived in. Whiteness is a way to call it. Uh, but that, I mean, as a, as a white person, or at least, I don't know what do you call an Italian Jew anymore. Italians and Jews fought very hard to become white people. You're swarthy, but white. It, well, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's, it's whiteness. But it's, it's not, I'm not talking about whiteness as a race. I'm talking about whiteness as a culture. Has destroyed every place I've ever loved, in in terms of where I've lived, except for the Upper Delaware River Basin. Um, The nature there uh, was protected um, by people, but this is a cultural force. I'm talking about in cities. It gentrifies cities. It makes them boring. Mm -hmm. um, It kills their funk. It kills their punk. It kills their ska. It kills their art art. And it, it it comes in as a, 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 a it paves the way for Starbucks and Target and and um, you know all of those corporations that were born somewhere in uh, you know the, the suburban landscape near Seattle, you know and but, that but how that do whole we stop system that, though I I mean I feel that as a traveler you address it first of all yeah it's it's ma- it's making your life boring most people want boring lives though most people want boring meaningless lives in that in that sense. Um, and we have to say that don't go back to sleep. Don't um, stay in and, you know, watch TV and do nothing. Go out, you know, go out and you know, go to the clubs, go to the bars, go to the... Um, and there's no age limit on that. Um, go to the dance concerts, go to the political events. This is what life is about. But there is a, a, a You know, we always thought, oh, my God, there's this somnambulistic cultural drift that happens, and it is the enemy. And now, 20 years later, looking at New York City, we lost, you know, 20 to 50 percent of our theaters downtown. We've lost a huge number of music clubs downtown. And as a result, you you, you have prohibitively expensive neighborhoods. And what are you getting out of it? So people are taking that art and they're going to Cincinnati or they're going to Houston or they're going to New Orleans or they're going to other places that, that are affordable. And you've seen an artist and cultural uh, brain drain in the city that was the cultural capital of America. Yeah. Um, and it's direct result of Giuliani and, and Bloomberg and their racist and pro-money politics. Um, and, and, and now it is the kind of thing that... Um, but it's also a result of a cultural shift that took place over generations, right? You had a lot of kids who decided that the way to become an artist was to go to grad school. Um, that's not the way to become an artist. That's a way to pay a failed artist to teach you how to become a failed artist um, and put yourself in debt. Because yeah. to be an artist, yeah. what you really need is time. Yeah. If you have debt, you have no time. Right. Um, so that became a cultural trend. These MFA programs for acting and painting and dance and music proliferated all across the country hundreds of thousands of graduates every year. And what are those people actually doing? Well, they're working at Starbucks, they're working in bars, they're never gonna pay off their debt. And they're probably not gonna become artists because the truth about art is, what you really need to do if you wanna be an artist is get involved in politics. Art is about politics. Mm. Art is about the social contract. Art is about caring about your fellow man. What does that mean right now? That means politics. It doesn't mean navel-gazing in a narcissistic way and creating your best technique. Look at Basquiat. Basquiat couldn't uh, paint like Jean Singer Sargent, but he painted his truth. He painted the way he wanted to paint, and it was this radical political act. You know, look at, um, you, you know, uh, music is a little bit different because music is a diff, deep, deep discipline, but you get that by practicing and playing with other people. You get that by playing out in the clubs. You don't get that by, um, you know, uh, acting is the same way. Why is an actor good? An actor is good because he strikes a deep, resonant chord in a piece of writing that has a deep, resonant core and soul. That writing is almost always political. If you take the drama, of Arthur Miller or Tennessee Williams you cannot extract the social context if you take um, you know uh, August Wilson you cannot extract the social context um, mm. and you know that is what we're in the middle of right now we, we are lacking a soul a political soul in our art and we're trying to restore it and um, you know I, I, I watched the Oscars the other night um, Shape of Water I don't know what that movie's about it's about a woman who falls in love with a fish like uh, I don't, I don't see the political context and I don't know why that's the best picture um, you know what I mean I, I, I thought Get Out was a masterpiece hmm. um, that rose on the tide that movie was not supposed to get made it was not supposed to be popular it was not supposed to make huge amounts of money that was like a Bernie campaign for a movie right, right there right? Right. and it did it all because it addressed what we lack it became real art it addressed what we lack our appeal to our social contract and to our political context. You want to become an artist? Go get involved in politics. Stop trying to act, you know, become uh, you know, uh, Tom Cruise yeah. or whatever.
0: Because art is about the world that's coming, not the world that's here.
2: It's about our responsibility to each other and, and, and where our self-expression and our audience meet. It's where our self-expression and our audience meet. Mm. Our, we have, every artist or every person has a deep thing that needs to get expressed. There's no question and the, the profundity of the expression of that thing becomes the mark of the artist I think but it, it's not just you it's how you interact with the mm. world around you right and that world around you needs you to explain something that they don't understand mm. cubism explained the world before it became popular you know what I mean um, mm. it might have been seen as ugly in a different era for sure, sure, sure. a product of that era um, you know we need those forms. Um, and so I, I, I often see art that I feel like is really amazing in that category. I also see art that's very corporate and very corrupt in that sense. Yeah. Um, because corporations are really good at corrupting the thing that matters most to you. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I know you got to get ready. What time is it? It's, I don't
0: know. It's uh, We've been talking for 50 minutes. Um, okay. It's 5.10, uh, so... Right. Yeah. We have 10 minutes from 5.00. Yeah. Have
2: you, and that's what I want to add Well that was, that was really good man um, I wanna, Can I talk Yeah, like talk about Slightly about sure. some projects though Hell yeah Because I, I, I know that this is to a degree promotional <laughs> um, So I'm uh
0: Josh is looking at his phone Ladies oh, and gentlemen cool. He got a good text apparently it's not. doesn't look like bad news He's No,
2: I think Alternate's going to send me to, to the Amazon
0: Josh is going to the Amazon cool. Word has just come in Again,
2: Again. Well, I'll, I'll send you some transmissions Anyway uh, I have two projects That um, I've been developing That are very near and dear to me They're not documentaries Well, one of them is, I think, a spoken documentary This project called The Truth Has Changed it starts with me at a, an institute of higher learning on tour you know I toured with the films to all 500 cities I don't even know how many cities mm-hmm. I mean there's so many this for 10 Gas- years Gasland Gasland 2. 2 How to Let Go Awake Oof. and Bernie and the shorts right. and right. The anti-fracking campaigns for, for you know a decade and at one of the stops this, this senior at uh, college in Virginia raises her hand and she goes well, how do you know how do we know what's true so, you say all these things about fracking and climate change, and yet yeah, we can go online and see that the opposite of all those things are true. So, mm. how do we know? Mm. And this was not an easy question to answer in 2016, 2017. And so, I, I think the way we process truth has totally changed, and I think that's a pro- product of propaganda um, mm. and extraordinary corporate influence and the log, uh, the algorithms. Um, you know and that this is something we talk about this in terms of Russians right but this is American Facebook and Google are American
0: well and we, we invented is, fucking with other people's elections I mean the CIA
2: has been doing that forever <laughs> right and ExxonMobil it's legal for ExxonMobil to tamper an election right exactly it's legal for ExxonMobil yeah. to tamper with the climate yeah so I have been lucky enough to be on the front lines of so many weird and amazing events I was a quasi-first responder during 9-11. We were the first plane to fly below 3,000 feet and get real pictures of the BPOS bill. Uh, Obviously, my work on fracking all across the country is me being on the front lines. I was there at Standing Rock... um, you know, when the water protectors were wading up in, in the water and fighting the police off. Um, you know, I was on the Democratic Platform Committee and on the front lines with Bernie and tried to help with the Hillary campaign. And, um, you know, that is a wealth of, uh, of, of experience. Hurricane Sandy being on the ground in the Virgin Islands right after Maria and, and Irma. And those, um, those experiences uh, form a through line about the truth and about the climate and about our democracy. And that's what this is. It's a spoken documentary, like a Spaulding Gray uh, thing. Um, is this the first time you've done this? Yes. It was uh, proposed to me by Sheila Nevins, the great genius who ran HBO documentary for 30 years. She just resigned, so I don't know that the piece will end up being on HBO. We're looking for distribution. Um, but it will premiere on September 11th and 12th uh, at Town Hall, in New York City, and mm. uh, we're going to tape it live. We want to go live to TV or live to the internet because it has a lot to say on our election. We want to use it as a mobilizing tool, mm. um, and that is something that I'm really focused on and I'm excited about it. It's uh, it's daunting. It's a big performance. Mm. Um, it's you know it's uh, it takes a lot out of me, but I'm really excited to do it.
0: And you're so you're sitting at a table for how, how long is it? Uh, it currently, it's about two hours. Two hours with an intermission. Yep. You're reading? At the moment, there's an intermission, Yep. Are you standing up, moving? Is there any sort of physical component to
2: it? Is there film behind you? Um, well, currently, no. Currently, it's just me at the table. Um, there is an elaborate stage design that we may or may not be able to afford, <laughs> and if that is the mm. case. Um, there will be projections and, and dance and all sorts of mm. things that I, I'm known for in the realm of that work um we're still figuring out how mm. to handle all that there will definitely not be only me sitting at the table the whole time it's hard uh, to hold people's attention for two I hours i know but it works it's i'm telling you it's hard work i mean man. the last time it's hard work but it but i mean um you know we pre- i just performed it in new york uh i will be performing it again in new york as a workshop for my friends in about a couple of weeks um It'll be at the Contemporary Arts Center in New Orleans at the end of May and possibly also beginning of June. Um, there will be uh, engagements of it around the country for the summer and then end up in New York in September. Um, so there's, it is hard to do, but it, it, you know, if for those of you who are Spalding Gray fans or fans of Joe Frank, the great radio monologue artist, um, or fans of me, <laughs> um, this is something that I think people will really get into um, it, there's a lot of information in it it's really a scoop in a lot of ways um, but uh, uh, I'm very excited about doing it It's. It's. I've always had that performance background I've been an actor since I was 12 this is me returning to the theater um, and doing it in a way that also brings my last 10 years worth of history to, to, to people's attention mm. and you'll, you'll see a lot of things so for people who are really invite, working on the fracking uh, there's a lot in there for you working on climate change a lot in there for you working on democracy issues a lot in there for you and, and for those people who just love theater I think this is a big big arc um, and a, an important one so I'm excited to bring it um, another thing that I've been working on is what I call Josh Fox's anti-totalitarian bedtime stories um, which, the first one, the pilot episode, came out through the website, The People for Bernie. It went to about 300,000 views, um, which is pretty good. Um, and it's uh, these are stories that help you get to sleep in the Trump era. Um, you know, a lot of my friends were calling me up saying, uh, I'm having trouble sleeping, you know. And at the same time, a lot of other folks were saying, you have such a great... You know, voice um, when you do your your uh, uh, here I'll, I'll take, when you do your voiceovers in Gasland. I was listening to you trying to go to sleep at night, and um, and I said, "Don't listen to Gasland going to sleep. You're going to have nightmares about Dick Cheney." <laughs> like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> Dick Cheney's under the bed, and ah. and so I started to record bedtime stories for my friends. And this is a compilation of those bedtime stories. They're um, they're they're really funny. They have you know. The, a political backdrop to each one of the stories, but somehow miraculously in the end of the story the people win. Um, So there are these happy stories of our political moment. That's Um, how you protect yourself. There's a leech that discovers the center of the universe um, through... Blood sucking, you know, um, <laughs> and connecting with his host. There's um, a pair of unicorns uh, in a rapidly gentrifying city where all the boring animals are taking over. Um, uh, and, you know, the unicorns are being shoved out. And, there were no uh, unicorns in Animal Farm, were there? I don't know, I, I, well. but I don't think so. But this is, you know, that's a story about gentrification. There's um, um, uh, a, a thing called the Mosquito of Good Dreams which is a, mus- a, 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 a rare breed of mosquitoes that were accidentally bred in a vat of LSD in the 40s <laughs> in Switzerland, and they live 10,000 years, and they're iridescent. When they, oh. when they bite you, they don't actually suck... Things they inject, and you end up having these really good dreams. So, uh, in the end, they 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 uh, find their way into the White House and and by Donald Trump. That's and, what we and, need, and and man. He has a, a psychedelic experience. So so there's like you know these are these are the some of the stories. Sounds um, good, and it's they're really fun. You're going to publish this as a children's book? It's going to be a book. No, it's not. It's not. They're not for children. They're for adults. Oh, okay. I want people to you know look. Everybody's on their kids phone. of all ages. Yeah, eight to eighty. Right, eight yeah. to eighty. Basically, yeah. I mean, there's some of them that are not going to be appropriate for children there's one called the potted plant that liked rough sex um, about a fern uh, but you know um you know they get fern. lashed by climate change and um you know uh anyway uh, and there's um, so these are (laughs) these are just bedtime stories and they're going to be illustrated well so the book will come out next spring with Seven Stories Press Um, they're illustrated but we're also looking to make them into an animated series so the animations are on uh, the first one is on the people for Bernie and on my site um and we, that month, the Leech ends up being a story about Medicare for All. Uh, so we used it to help promote Bernie's Medicare for All bill. But the, most of them are not um, partisan in that way. They're just uh, philosophical. Um, and I'm going to do them as a theater piece. I think we're going to do mm-hmm. a midnight to 10 a.m., or 11 p.m. to 11 a.m. or whatever it is. So you'll hear me tell these stories for four hours as you're in your own little cubicle, and you can turn me off like you would turn off a drive-in movie theater, you know. Um, and then you fall asleep for a while. People will come around with cookies, and you get your own stocking cap. And so, We're encouraging people to have pajama so people are costumes. are going to sleep in the theater. Sleep in the theater. Oh, and wow. the next morning, there'll be a wake-up story with your breakfast, and you're off to work. Um, um, so it's an all-night immersive theater event, like on a Saturday night. Wow. Um, wow. And so this, this bedtime stories thing is... It's cool it was originally developed with me and alex ebert who's the uh driving force between behind edward sharp and edward sharp and the magnetic zero oh, yeah. that great band right. and he's a great solo performer his, his solo music is incredible um And he uh, just wanted material for his new app called Hashtag Radio or Tag Radio. And I said, well, I can do these. And we just started to develop them, and he was the recording engineer on that. So there's an audiobook version, there's a book book version of it. We're looking for an animated series, and there's a theater part of it. So Mm. um, I'm just into storytelling right now. It's something I can do. Documentary is storytelling. Mm. You're just assembling other people's stories and making a big story out of that. Um, So I've been a little bit weary of doing so much more documentary work because it's been a decade of that. And I come from the theater. I come from the narrative world. So I'm sort of stepping back into that um, via this sort of transition moment of doing these stories myself. And I think the next years are going to be about making some narrative films and TV shows. Fantastic, man. That's what I really like to do. I mean, the activism is extremely important. Yeah. Everyone should have, you know, 20% of their time Devoted to making America a better place. I don't Mm. see why that's insane. We only have an eight-hour work week. I mean, supposed to. Day. Eight-hour work day. Um, I mean, most people have five jobs because the minimum wage is so low. So try to figure out how to raise the minimum wage you can go back to back have one job. You know, Which our, makes
0: you think that that's no accident that the minimum wage is so low. Keep people too busy to, to get upset.
2: Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, without a doubt. They know the pressure points. They know the point where too much pain causes people to go crazy and not enough pain makes you stay home. Um, let's not deal with this in those terms. Let's try to figure out how to make life great. You know what I mean? I do. And I think yeah. you can't do that without a good degree of political participation.
0: Thanks for doing this, man.
2: Thank you for doing it, man. (laughs) It's good to see
0: you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through patreon.com. You can decide how much you want to give the podcast, a buck a month, five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more. Or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. Thank you to Basin and Range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast. Very funky little tune there uh, called The Bright Side of the Sun, I believe. You can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners, a good place to do that is on Reddit. Just search Tangentially Speaking, all one word. There's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes. I drop in occasionally and say hello, answer questions, whatever. Uh, Thanks to Shore Design T-shirts, our garage is full of them. My mom has them all organized as only she can. Julie, thank you to Julie, my mom. She'll send those t-shirts out to you if you order them. Everything we've got in stock is from Shore Design t-shirts in Thailand, and you can check out their webpage as well for other designs. Thank you to Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey Blanton at Carsey Blanton. Com, C-A-R-S-I-E-B-L-A-N-T-O-N.com. She wrote and performed the song you're about to hear, which is called Smoke Alarm. And it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can, because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett.
1: He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to what's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're going to say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't want to give the end away But we're going to die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a birdcage, singing in your chest. You wanna shut it up but give it a rest. You're gonna die one day. Why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation? headed for a headstone I don't want to give the end away but we're gonna die one day we're gonna die one day we're gonna die one day, die one day. so baby what's a big deal if you wanna be free say what you wanna feel and spend the night with me to take you up in my arms and if we must go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms we'll dance into the ground